0: Today, Jan and I do a year in review and reflect on three themes that we've observed in student success in 2019. Hi, and welcome to the Student Success Higher Ed Podcast. I'm Graham Tracy. And I'm
1: Jan Day.
0: Let's get started. So Jan, we're here, what, November 20th? 21st. 21st, 22nd. 22nd. Right before Thanksgiving, right, and we're we've been reflecting and doing some planning for the next end of year and next year. Um, so it's a good time for us to step back and say, what have we seen that's happening in the student success world in higher ed, and where are things going? But maybe we'll hold off on that and just talk about some of the trends that we've seen. Uh, and this first one is really.
1: I would say we, we saw three, we wanted to talk about things in three areas, Yeah. right? We want to talk about the pressure that institutions are on under to deliver on the promise of education. We wanted to touch on some themes in the area of equity and access that we're seeing and, and sort of increasing awareness there. And this idea of strategic alignment within an institution and how... Trends that we're seeing there uh, are things we wanted to highlight about, you know, areas for improvement.
0: Yeah. So in this, in the area of pressure on in the institution, we're talking about multifaceted pressures, yeah. right? Demographic challenges, financial challenges, demands on from parents, from the public at large for increased outcomes at institutions, yeah. right? Yeah. You dug into a couple of dug, the yeah, data points. on I some dug of into these. a
1: little bit. So the idea here was that. Um, it's not getting easier to be the head on the exec team of uh, <laughs> an institution of higher ed, is it?
0: To say the least.
1: <laughs> so uh, you know, these presidents and provosts and, and chancellors and so forth, they are juggling a lot of balls and trying to minister to the students on their campus, the financial health of the institution, uh, output in terms of academic research, uh, basic science research, you name it. And one of the engines of success for these institutions, from a uh, you know their mission, is to educate students. Uh, one, of the, one of the challenges is there's fewer of them. Uh, demographically, the trends in terms of college age going that traditional college age population is decreasing, um, according to a recent study or published by. Uh, Nakubo and Bank of America in September, student population is expected to drop 5% in the Northeast and Midwest mm-hmm. by the mid-2020s, which is kind of a thing that, uh, it's almost weird saying, 2020.
0: Right.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, and uh, it's not really getting better in other parts of the country. Uh, they're also predicting a drop of 10% in that college age population, in the latter half of the 2020, so from 2026 to 2031, um, the shift is also moving from. Uh,
0: so, but this is mostly a birth rate.
1: Is a birth rate thing?
0: Thing, or mm-hmm. is it in in addition to maybe a problem with graduates and or deciders to go to higher education, uh, or is it mostly is just a birth rate just, demographic?
1: Just a demographic birth rate thing, not okay. a... And a
0: regional thing where people are shifting from different parts of the country into, uh, into right. the southwest the, or the, south. Right. Certain parts
1: the northeast and the midwest are basically graying. Mm-hmm. There, the, the, the population growth areas are to the west and the south, but those growth areas will not make up for this overall decline. So for... Institutions, the pressure to have a student population that comes and and makes their institution viable is yeah. uh, going to be more challenging. And I
0: think they often then wrestle with the idea: of, Do I put more efforts and energy into recruiting students to stave off this, you know, sort of dearth of students that are in mm-hmm. my area? If I'm in the Northeast, in particular. Um, as an example, or do I put more time and effort into retaining my students and, and you know, where should right, the balance right. be? You know, that's a tough decision it's, because it's
1: a, it's a, uh, I'm sure there's a, a nice way to describe it mathematically, right? Mm-hmm. There's multiple factors that come right. into play. One aspect of the demographic shift that, that institutions use today to balance things out is we'll uh, recruit more international students. But guess what? There are more... Conditions
0: are not favorable.
1: Conditions are not favorable from a cultural perspective uh, here in the U.S., as well as just from a visa perspective. But also international students today have more options outside the U.S., like increasing options, I should say, from other higher ed uh, institutions in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So it's not just um, a domestic decline. There's also the international student challenge.
0: So good point. So this demographic pressure, right, is leading to even increased financial Financial, pressure. Right. Um, So
1: um, I don't think any of us would be surprised to hear about that linkage. And we all know that the retail price of attending college from a tuition, books, and other expenses has been going up above the rate of inflation for quite a few number of years. Uh, And and as a result, people are, uh, for various reasons, uh, one of the primary drivers of that is that gains in productivity in the consumer world, like building a car, making a TV, uh, these kinds of appliances and other goods as organizations get more efficient about producing them, the cost to deliver a really nice TV goes down and down and down.
0: The not types, the case in higher not ed. the case in higher
1: ed or in healthcare where <laughs> right. you can't productize delivery of, uh, replacing that stent in, mm. your, <laughs> in right, your heart right. or pouring some knowledge into your student's brain. So they don't, higher ed as a whole, doesn't get this economy of scale that we see in other facets of our global economy. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the drivers there. Um,
0: now, of course, this financial pressure, right, is driving more and more people to be thinking about, am I, is it worth it? Am right. I getting what right. I expect and what I'm putting into it? So if we have to, and that, this is true for students, but for parents for the public at large as the taxpayers fund some level of the education?
1: Yes and um, you know there's no consumer reports for higher ed but there's lots of government studies and other research that is trying to fill in some of those gaps to inform families and students about what path should I take, what uh, opportunities will I have if I choose this major over others, and uh, Georgetown University recently released a uh, in-depth study looking at that very thing. Is uh, is there a return on the college investment? Mm -hmm. And I encourage folks to take a look at that research and go to the Georgetown University website and explore the data because it's fully searchable with all kinds of filters and things. Uh, but this, these are the kinds of tools that I think we're going to be seeing more and more of as families and individual students are wrestling with the uh, very hard decision of what do, how do I explore this path to a credential that historically has been worth the investment?
0: Right. I feel like in the 20-plus years that I've been around higher education, these themes have always been there, and they've continued to get tougher and tougher, mm-hmm. but it feels like it's coming to a head, right? There are more and more institutions that seem to be closing, yep. right? Um, and it just feels like that Or consolidating. Or consolidating, right? We've seen that even. Um, in our own client base, you know, some, some clients uh, merging together mm-hmm. um, to maybe get some of those economies of scale. Um, and maybe the smart ones are doing that, right, in yeah. some cases.
1: So I think the sum up here is that the theme that we heard sort of the drumbeat getting louder about is the pressure is hard and high, and it's going to continue. In,
0: yeah.
1: in 2020, it's it's not going to get easier. Right. Uh, so that's the first theme. But let's shift to talk a little bit about equity and access and some of the things that that really hit home for us in 2019.
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly the equity and access story really is, I think it's just in the last three years, but particularly in the last year, it's become um, much greater awareness in higher education as a whole, in society as a whole, across other industries, across other um domains or spheres if you will um so it's really a good positive direction here that there are now people tracking the statistics in food and housing insecurity we've done a lot of we've interviewed sarah goldrick rob she's we've read her book together mm-hmm. as a group uh those of us student success he podcast fans out there right <laughs> um so there's a lot of interesting things there that people are starting to do to address this food and housing insecurity. Right.
1: Right. And I think some of this, some of this sort of wave in realization for uh, many people began with things like Black Lives Matter, and more recently the Me Too movement of the uh, understanding, better understanding that. There are challenges at the individual level for equity and access to things, but much of that is driven by structural inequality uh, that, that restricts access not just to an individual, but to a population of people or types of people. Right. Uh, and, and that means it's a problem at scale. It's, yes. At, at scale. And, and the, I think
0: the data is eye-opening to people. Um, as they start, you know, becoming more aware, and they look at the data, it's pretty unbelievable, right? Do you do you have some of the uh, yeah. statistics so, around the food um, and housing insecurity in particular? Or
1: well, for us here at Starfish, one of the one of the wonderful things that I've been involved with is our part recent partnership with the uh, Hope Center for College Community and Justice, that is Sarah Goldrick-Robb's organization based at Temple University, and. <coughs> her organization has done tons and tons of research on not just what are the problems around equity and access, but really honing in on things related to food and housing insecurity. And at first I was like, yeah, college students, aren't they always hungry? You know, (laughs) you leave that pizza out in the, you know, the lounge and you know, the vultures devour it. Yes. That is one aspect of, of, uh, students, you know, when you think of that typical eighteen to twenty-four year old residential college student, but what Sarah's research has uncovered is the problem is uh, large, much larger than I think people realized. Forty-six percent of college students suffer from food insecurity, and upwards of eighteen percent of college students suffer from. Uh, housing insecurity, and uh, depending upon the studies that that you look at, nine to eleven percent of college students are actually homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't often identify themselves as homeless because uh, that word. I think we we have as individuals different ideas of what mm-hmm. that word means.
0: Stigmatized.
1: It's a yeah, um, but when you ask about behaviors such as did you couch surf at any point in the past 30 days? Or are you, um, you know, sleeping in your car? You know, those folks experiencing those situations are homeless. Right. Um, so they really, these statistics were eye-opening for me. And the more that I've dug into conversations with Sarah, reading her books, other articles about food and housing insecurity, and hearing some of the personal stories, uh, it, has, it has become, uh, I don't want to say it's become personal, but it has personalized and made much more real to me. Mm-hmm. Not just the impact on that individual who's experiencing that situation, but the scope of the problem that it has in terms of the likelihood of, or the barrier this puts up to that student succeeding uh, in 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 an individual course or in a program of study.
0: And we've definitely seen a lot of institutions doing some things about this, right? Becoming aware and adding food pantries and um, other services, social services, or at least linking up with social services outside in in their community if they don't have the resources Mm -hmm. on campus, which is all a good thing and all things that they're doing sort of in the aggregate. Um, I'm kind of excited about the idea of taking the research that Sarah's done, the Hope Center, and taking it to the next level and being able to act on it more proactively even, right? So being able to ask questions, specific questions to eke this out of students when they maybe are onboarding at the institution and then being able to say, all right, how do we proactively reach out to students? Mm -hmm. Of course, we have to do it carefully, not in any kind of a stigmatized way um but such that we can you know help drive them toward resources and get help uh, in advance of before a problem occurs um, and really support them from the beginning
1: well and and you're not alone in thinking that way there are currently six or seven bills working their way through state and federal legislature on how to better support at scale students who are experiencing some aspects of food and housing insecurity. Everything from um, increasing SNAP benefits for students in these situations to um, free and reduced lunch programs, just like we have in. So, let's talk about the third trend that we, or theme that we saw this year in 2019 around student success. Mm-hmm. And that's this idea of strategic alignment within an institution, or maybe I should call it lack of strategic lack of. alignment, uh, specifically around student success. Graham, this is something that's sort of near and dear to your heart. you want to dive in?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is, as we've been working with clients to try to tackle the student success problem over the years at Starfish, um, It's we've often realized that it's multifaceted. There are... Obviously, advising is a key component, but we have student um, organizations, uh, orientation, career services—all of these different um, areas that need to be involved in student success holistically. And what you find when you look at a a org chart at the institution, you're struck by the fact that each one of those those departments roll up to different VPs. They might be rolling up to academic affairs or student affairs or enrollment management and it just depends. Not all institutions do this the same way. There isn't necessarily a single standard for anyone to follow. Um, We're seeing some, in some cases, we're seeing some emerging roles like associate VPs of student success and things in in an attempt to start to consolidate some of the student success activity. But still lots of coordination that has to happen across the organization. And then what happens is each of these org- parts of the organization tend to be, um, you know, a lot, they, they tend to have their own objectives or goals. In the academic world, I'm trying to, you know, I might have an initiative to change the pedagogy, and yes, it might have um, impact on student success. I'm not necessarily only focused on retaining students or graduating them or some of the other traditional metrics. Um, Whereas maybe in the advising world, I have some of those metrics Mm -hmm. that I'm thinking about as I'm going along. Career services, thinking about the future of the student, not necessarily how to get them through today. So how do we get all of these folks aligned and and focused around some key goals for student success and have that translate into how they work together if not organizationally restructure some things
1: i'll add to that that it's not just aligning in terms of high level strategic goals but it's pushing that the measurement towards those goals down through each level of the organization so that people on the front lines who are working day in and day out with students to support them in in whichever way they they're doing that see how their day-to-day work and how their success is measured rolls up to those higher uh, sort of rolled-up mm-hmm. goals.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things I was struck by too, Jan, related to this is mm-hmm. that Educause, you know, the last couple of years we've been to the Educause conferences mm-hmm. and Educause publishes their, you know, top 10 list of things that the IT folks and CIOs in particular are concerned about or thinking about student success is popping up on that top 10 list over the last three or four years. And um, they've recently created a special committee within the Educause organization, not just the conference, but the association itself to focus on this, which tells me that, you know. IT and CIOs, uh, IT people and CIOs tend to be focused on enterprise-scale problems. Um, So, you know, they've traditionally been the student information system cascades across all of these things. So there's an awareness that student success touches all Mm -hmm. of these different areas. And now IT departments even are looking at it like it's an enterprise type of technology or or an enterprise-scale problem and who... Within the organization, tackles enterprise things. Typically, the IT department. So I thought that was interesting that they see yeah. an opening and a place for themselves at the student success to table sit at here. That
1: table, yeah. and uh, hopefully, great things to come out of that group in twenty twenty. Uh, so, that's the key, three key themes that we saw in twenty nineteen. What did you see? What are the things that you'd like? to uh... to talk about well visit the website and uh, we'd love to see your feedback thanks a lot
0: if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe and leave us a review on itunes or your favorite podcasting service also show notes can be found on our website at studentsuccesshe.com and if you have questions or thoughts to share please leave us a comment on our website facebook or twitter at Student Success H E. Until next time.